everyone, I'm Izzy Wells and welcome to Hot Stuff, where we discuss current hot topics that we think deserve your attention. From social issues to popular culture, we'll be keeping you up to date on relevant and unique Taiwan-related content every Tuesday. Now today, I will be bringing you part two of my interview with Vivi Lin, who advocates for period equity and fighting against the stigma around periods in Taiwan. So without further ado, enjoy. Let's talk more about actually like having our periods and like that experience. You know, this isn't a situation that's just in Taiwan. It is very stigmatized wherever you go in the world. And in in the UK, I grew up in in the UK. And I remember, I think I was like what you'd call like an early bloomer. So like my period came fairly much earlier than a lot of my other friends. And I remember it being a bit like embarrassing and I was Mm. a bit like shy about it. And is that an experience that you know a lot of like young girls in Taiwan have as well would you say yeah so I think embarrassment is always like a really really huge challenge for uh, puberty especially mm. um for teenage um people it's always like you know start growing your hair start like your body's changing like all kind of different things that happen yeah. during like five three years <laughs> this is crazy it's also something that we're trying to sort of like change through education um I remember a lot of like the schools that we went to will separate uh, boys and girls when they're talking about period, Mm. right? So a lot of teachers really, really worried about um, people will start embarrassing other people, teasing other people because of, you know, period. But then we, we talked to them saying that why not let's try having everybody regardless of gender in one classroom and talk about period all together um and they're like but if boys know about period they'll definitely tease the girls and we're like maybe not because if they know about so then they know there's nothing to be embarrassed about and there's nothing to joke about mm-hmm. and then they're like okay let's do the experiment and when we did that experiment it was so so interesting that after like a whole comprehensive like a gender friendly um peer education so everybody was in the classroom talking about peer all together and then you see people being super supportive mm-hmm. and being very very empathetic towards each other because they're like now we know about period now we know this is like a really natural just a normal biological process and people do feel that discomfort there you know some people might really have like cramps and all that so instead of teasing them we support them we even got like um boys coming to us saying that can i have some pads with me just in case someone you know next to me might need to use that i was like definitely that's that's very sweet and i think you know as well like if you're not having that that knurling about it in schools then when are you gonna learn about it exactly they'll definitely just google it and then they won't be able to like filter out the information so like there's all sorts of different things on google you yeah. don't know which one is correct which one's not mm-hmm. so there's a lot of like false information spy. and i've also noticed in taiwan tampons tend to be much less of a thing why is that um so it's it's always um a huge topic that we're trying to address as well is um or it's not just tampons but also menstrual cups menstrual mm. disc um whichever menstrual products that are that that you need to put inside your body it's something that people do not want to tend 
to not you know use that because of um these taboos related to like female reproductive systems so it's really like people are not comfortable touching their own body people are not that used to looking at their own body so all these kind of taboo um sort of like interconnected with um the results of um, not having a huge population using tampons or menstrual cup and discs and what we're trying to advocate is that you know all sorts of different menstrual products are there, there's no a perfect uh menstrual product for everyone but we we want to try to not to educate but also to to make sure that all people who menstruate know the options that you have because when you have to choose the combination of the menstrual products that are most suitable for you you have to know the options first mm. so that's what that's also something that we're trying to do not just in the museum but also in all different kind of campaigns um, we try to bring all kinds of different menstrual products that are legal to use in Taiwan um, and teach people using all different kind of like reproductive um, models so people can actually try it on yes. um, um, with their hands and like touch different materials as well because like it's always kind of expensive to buy the reusable ones as well for some people especially students they might not have a huge budget to you know try on all different kind of things mm. but having that opportunity to like try it at our campaign might yeah. be a way to do it i think that's so important <laughs> and so good i feel like i i could have done with this you know <laughs> in the uk like i feel like we could also completely do with better education about periods yeah i feel like it's something neglected yeah so- I think that's one thing that I was really surprised when I was studying in Scotland um, because so I was really really inspired by the Scottish um, menstrual movement but then when I talked to um, a lot of different activists in in Scotland they they were telling us that actually a lot of things have to still yet to be improved in in the Scottish um, period education and I was like oh I thought it's already been done but yeah progressing for sure and i think you know that's scotland's doing a better job of it than in Mm. england because in in scotland you get free period products because we both went to edinburgh and it was something that happened i think during my my time there so when i first started it wasn't but then um i can't remember which which year but i'll go to the bathroom and they would have place where you could get like pads tampons whatever and it was honestly the most amazing thing because you know sometimes you do it comes and you don't have anything with you and then hopefully a friend will have something or but it was such a great uh, a great change that they made can you tell us more about the scottish menstrual movement what and what because i know you were involved in it what was your kind of like role and and what 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 planned out Mm. yeah i was more like a participant in the the whole movement i was not like in the main leading group or anything but Mm -hmm. i was really really inspired by it and because we study in Edinburgh Uni so Edinburgh Uni is always kind of like the base for all different kind of social movement and literally live right next to the Scottish Parliament um, so like all different marches and all that yeah, yeah I live in Hori <laughs> so like all different marches and like all different kind of like events I would like participate in all these discussions about like how we need to how to like adjust um, this amendment and like put up the uh, the act and all of that and I talked to a lot of different local like grassroots 
food advocacy group and activist um, when when they were trying to like push forward the act. Um, and after that, I've been um, collaborating. Actually, now I'm more involved in the Scottish uh, menstrual movement um, than before because now we're evaluating how they're implementing the the policy. Actually, oh, so um, before coming back to Taiwan this uh, May, I actually I was I was one of the speakers at the Scottish Menstrual Justice Salon. Um, we're talking to Monica Lennon, so the um, the MSP about you know um, we've been evaluating the implementation. Um, it's it's great that Scotland has this act um, passed you know passes like free menstrual product law, but then at the same time it's not really been the perfect law um, in the past few years. So there are still a huge room for improvement. Mm-hmm. We've been talking to them about how we can better implement it, um, not just in Scotland but also maybe you know advocating for other countries and also advocating for England as well yeah. in terms of like how the whole UK can can have a more comprehensive um yeah because I remember the some of my friends that were studying in unis in in England I was like oh you guys, you guys are missing out <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so what other you know back to that kind of law was it just about free menstrual products was there anything else in terms of like education yeah. or is so that, that's something yeah. we're trying to push forward. Yeah. Um, at the really, really beginning, it was really just about free menstrual products. But even just about free menstrual products, um, you know, who who should be the one filling out, um, you know, refill all these products and where should these products be? Um, that could also be a challenge in terms of the policy implementation. But also other than that, education, the, the a lot of like different campaigns related to it. How can we better support it? Um, it's also a topic that's been discussed right now. Um, we're also trying to push forward Taiwan's legislation about it. So we try to do a lot of like policy changes back in you know three four years ago already now the ministry of education has promised that we're going to have a national wide um free menstrual product on campus this year amazing we're we're still trying to look into that because you know pushing forward a policy is literally just the beginning of a change um we always say as long as you haven't implemented completely then that's not the end it's just the beginning but also, um, it's really interesting how we've been talking to a lot of different governments saying that, you know, free menstrual product is amazing, but it doesn't really, it's it's not a, the, the perfect solution for period um, poverty mm-hmm. or, you know, achieving pure equity. It, it doesn't, it helps, but it's not the only solution. Mm-hmm. It's not the only thing that we need to do. Sure. And so with that, you know, Scotland getting to the point of, uh, you know, having this law of free menstrual products and hopefully further down the line as well, you know, getting better education and stuff. Why was it successful in Scotland? How did that manage to happen? Oh, right. So it was really like a lot of support from different groups. So it really started with grassroots movement. So Mm -hmm. a lot of different um, grassroots organizations and activists were working on that, talking to people. People, trying to lobby with a lot of different MSPs. It was a lot of efforts from, from the local communities. And then it got to the point that not just the local communities and the grassroots organizations were concerning about this issue, but also a lot of global organizations and a lot of scholars, a lot of 
have um, really high profile activists were like supporting it. And then it got to the point that MSPs were actually supporting it as well. So it, it really is like step by step. There are a lot of different milestones throughout mm. the movements. Um, very similar things in Taiwan as well. So I started as a solo activist and then launching with Red, being an organization. We start lobbying with a lot of different uh, policy makers, with a lot of different organizations trying to advocate through different kind of channels, um, different kind of events. And then eventually got to the point that people were like, you know, why not do it? Um, <laughs> I mean, we're living... Um, relatively okay life right now yep. but if there's something that we can do as a simple change but it can actually change a lot of people's life and can make this world a, a way better place and why not do it so then a lot of policymakers were like yeah let's try to do it mm. um and then that's how a lot of like policies have been changing in taiwan and also in scotland as well mm, amazing is there anything then that from that experience in scotland from understanding you know how like the policy and everything mm. went on any lessons that could be taken from scotland's like example with taiwan definitely or, like, helped yeah. yeah um i think i think a lot of things i learned from the scottish menstrual movement is like first um it's never give up so like just talk to the policy makers the people who are in charge just take all the opportunities that you can talk to them and do not hesitate to reach out to them even though they might reject you they might say no i don't want to talk about it this is not an important issue but never say never so like <laughs> you know just keep on talking to them one day they realize that this is something that's really important that can change a lot of people's life and second is that for example when when i was talking to a lot of policy makers i tried to re- Remove the obstacles that are ahead of them so i i already know that what they're concerning about what they're worried about so if i can remove these obstacles for example a lot of like um legislators they they they're really concerned about their constituency so like if you can gather people's share ideas and share opinions in their constituency before you go to them then that could be a huge huge advantage for you to to talk to them mm-hmm. um and they won't be as worried as before and another thing that i learned from scottish master movement is that don't do it alone so you mm-hmm. have to do it as a group and when i say as a group it's a diverse group it's not just activists all together but also scholars but also um, other organizations who are working on other issues so for example we've been collaborating with a lot of different organizations for example working on like poverty issues working on like educational issues like youth movements all different kind of organizations and like human rights democracy groups all these groups if we you know gather our like power together yeah. then then that's that's like another thing another thing i learned from scotch well there's so many things <laughs> um it really is like policy changes is is the first step not the end i think that's also something that i learned from it um though like we do have to celebrate that triumph you know like having a policy change is a huge step but also just like don't stop there because you know it's it's not the end you're still mm you're still a long there's still a long way to go before you like retire (laughs) (laughs) yeah so making that long impactful change it's a big process it's like getting everyone together then trying to find the politicians that can help enact that law and then even after that you're monitoring on you know is this actually having an impactful change and then hopefully continuing the discussion yeah so it's a 
big yeah, old person. I would say like having a group of people, you know, shouting out and like advocating um, endlessly every single day. It's something really important. But if we want to make a sustainable change, it has to be, you know, all Taiwanese people taking a part of it. Then that mm. can, that's that's like the only way that we can make sure that this change, these impact are sustainable. Have there been any unique challenges or even advantages of having this experience of trying to make that change in Taiwan? Right. Um. I think so. There are different challenges in different stage. Definitely. Mm. Um. I can't really say like which one is more like scary challenges <laughs> or like bigger challenges because like every single time when you face each other, you're like this is the end of the world. But mm. um. I think at the really beginning, it really is talking to people about this issue that people are not familiar with. So most of people will will react to you being like, "I've never heard about it. Is this a real issue, or are you actually talking about a social issue that's happening in Taiwan?" But then, you know, after like two three years of advocacy, um, a lot of people start knowing, getting to know about this issue either via our campaigns or like news or like press media a lot of different articles talking about it but then here comes like another challenge being how can we how can we take part in it and also like when when a policy change has been made it's not a perfect one so how can you like amend it um and, and continuously like change it but i think a really really unique advantage that as an activist we experience in taiwan is that people are really willing to listen mm. so like i was just talking to another producer from germany about it so he was um he was really surprised about how polite people are in taiwan oh, yeah. yeah he was saying like he he sort of realized that even people do not agree with what you say they won't like reject it um reject you like immediately they would do it in a really polite way and yeah i think that's really cultural as that it's part of our culture being really polite but at the same time to sort of like gives activists a huge advantage a huge room for negotiation when you are advocating for something because the fact that people do not reject you immediately it gives you more time yeah. to talk to them <laughs> <laughs> and when you have more time to talk to them you have a better chance of actually reaching the common you know finding a common ground and reaching the consensus with them mm. so would you say it's easier to have those conversations with politicians here or they're easier to access than oh that's your also true in the in the UK what was that what was that kind of like the differences there I think I think Taiwanese politicians are relatively more accessible for mm. sure I mean it's it's not like very very easy to do it but then it's also I think our experience advocating for like menstrual justice here in Taiwan it's definitely like um having the contact with politicians because I I don't come from I'm not coming from like a political family background or anything but it's always been quite accessible for us to talk to all these uh, um, policy makers and to collaborate with them yeah i think that's a really uh positive thing yeah <laughs> and they're generally quite supportive in terms of menstrual um equity so that's a good mm. thing too and how much progress then has taiwan made in terms of oh. fighting period poverty um so so it's always something that we're really um surprised but also proud of as uh in the past four years there has been more than like like seven different cities having policy changes in a, a local level but also there are national 
implementation as well. So we see the free period product on campus policy that I mentioned, but also we've been collaborating with Ministry of Education in terms of evaluating the current curriculum related to period education, how we can better um, support all children or teenagers in Taiwan, regardless of their socioeconomic backgrounds, to have the right to experience comprehensive pre-education. It's something that we've been working on as well, and there has been quite a lot of progress on that. Um, we've also been collaborating with a lot of different local governments in terms of free, uh, so like peer-friendly public spaces. So we launched a program called Peer-Friendly Spaces Badge. So basically, if you own a public space, for example, like a coffee shop, like a bookstore, or like you know, a museum or even just like a basketball um, stadium, whichever, like how big the, the venue is, as long as you're willing to become a pure friendly space for all menstruators, then you can join the program. Mm. And and a lot of different local government actually adopt that program and then encourage the public spaces in their uh, city or county to like join the program so that's also been a change there's also like a lot of different collaborations with us um, in terms of like local governments all sorts of different ones for example there's also Taoyuan city and um, Tainan city has been coll- have been collaborating with us to like train the social workers in terms of how they can better support people who experience period poverty really yeah. amazing work <laughs> like I can talk about that for like days and days but yeah <laughs> there have actually been a lot of changes which we are really proud of the uh, policymakers here in Taiwan. It was really great to hear and that's in Taiwan. What yeah. about collaborations abroad? Is some, that something that with Red also kind of focused? Yes, so we transformed into an international non-profit organization last year or year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like it's it's been quite a huge focus for us to, to collaborate with international partners. So we've been participating in a lot of different global um, forums or conferences sharing not just our experience but also learning from other people but also doing we're trying to do like collaborations in terms of like research as well so collaborating with like foreign researchers we can do like comparative studies to see you know how different countries are um, pushing for uh, menstrual justice but also um, we're trying to launch like a coalition in East Asia and Southeast Asia because when we went to the period poverty forum we realized that all different regions have their own coalition apart from you know this part of asia and we're like we are here there are a lot of people living here and and there are a lot of people experiencing challenges related to menstruation too so we do want to uh we kind of like got pushed to be like the 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 person to like set up that coalition so we're working on that and yeah so we're also trying to see you know how we can how we can better support but also learn from the other international collaborators um, all around the world. Hmm. That was very exciting for sure. (laughs) Now we're unfortunately coming to the end of our time what does Vivi have planned for the future? <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I guess, so for me, diversity, equity and inclusion and like human rights, it's always, you know, at the bottom of my heart. It's something that, that I'm going to fight for for the rest of my life, I think. So I'll just continue to be an activist um, fighting for all these issues, but also fighting for Taiwan um, 
on an at an international level in the future so Very yeah <laughs> and in terms of with red what about what can we expect to see from with red in the next couple of years right so with red's ultimate goal is actually destroying it so so we always say we want to you know get to the point when one day the world no longer needs with red anymore that would be like the happiest day ever <laughs> because that means master equity has already been a case for like it's a mm. reality for everyone and we do not need to like shout that out we do not need to advocate for that anymore so we really do hope everyone can join you know this mainstream movement so that we can require as soon as possible <laughs> do you see that happening at some point in our lives yeah i do i, I certainly believe that's gonna happen um i'm a really really optimistic person <laughs> but also i do think um menstrual issue is something that we can definitely you know eliminate in our lifetime mm, amazing well thank you so much for joining Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to Hot Stuff. See you next week.